All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Off the Set. I'm Brooke Mangum. And I'm Sarah Jenkins. We are so glad to have you be joining us today. We're talking about a very important topic. And I know, I feel like we talk about this a lot, but it's because it affects so many people. We're talking about anxiety. Yes. So many people are impacted by this. And I just feel like, you know, I I have friends or know people that have been to, been seen and they've been medically diagnosed. And then I feel like everyone has an element of anxiety in their day to day, right? Like, absolutely. Well, and I feel like if you don't have anxiety, then you're not paying attention, right? <laughs> That's it's true. I feel. Like I, there's just so much that we experience on a day to day basis. And I think like we do talk about this a lot because it's important to have those skills. And, um, I really, I think this conversation is really important because she's talking about why you can channel that anxiety into positive things. She says that anxiety can be your superpower. I love that. And it, as somebody that it fights with anxiety, I love this idea because I'm like, yes, I want a superpower. I don't want to think <laughs> about this as a detriment, but it's so true that anxiety can empower you to plan more, right? To yeah. over-prepare, which as long as you don't take that too far, that can actually <laughs> be really helpful. It really can. You can get a lot of things done and be productive with it. And I think it's just using those tools to channel them for the good. Um, Alora had a really good discussion So I say we take a listen. Let's do it. We have an amazing podcast for you guys today. I am lucky enough to be interviewing Tracy A. Dennis Tawari, who is an author of Future Tense, Why Anxiety is Good for You, Even Though It Feels Bad. She's amazing. She's an anxiety researcher, um, a psychology and neuroscience professor, and the founder of Wise Therapeutics. She truly is amazing. Tracy, thank you so much for talking to me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And Tracy, uh, I have to say, and I mean, I have done um, a couple of podcasts where I've talked about my anxiety, and this topic is really, really important to me. I know it's not just important to me, but for other people out there who are going through anxiety, who maybe feel like they're crawling out of their skin or they feel like things just aren't right. So I'm so excited to talk to you today. Let's talk about your book. What inspired you to write this new book? Well, honestly, a sense of failure inspired me to write this book because I've been a researcher really specializing in anxiety and emotional health for 20 years. Wow. And I have been part of and and have been privy to all of the great scientific advances that we've made. Mm-hmm. We have great treatments. We've learned so much over the past couple decades. But then just a handful of years ago, I looked around and I saw that mental health challenges mental illnesses and anxiety disorders in particular mm-hmm. were on the rise. Mm-hmm. So so it's a mystery, right? Despite all this knowledge and treatments, why are we actually doing worse than than maybe in a long, long time? And and really so future tense, the book is really a way for me to start grappling with that conundrum. And and I think the you know, one of the the main conclusions I came to was that yes, life is very hard today. It's very challenging. Uh, yes, it's much too difficult to access treatment uh-huh. for anxiety disorders. But even when you take that into account, one of the biggest barriers we have to living well with anxiety is the set of beliefs that we carry around about anxiety, uh-huh. that we feel so frightened of our anxiety, that we we feel broken when we feel anxious, and that this kind of a mindset mm-hmm. towards anxiety is actually harming us more than it's helping. And I will be completely honest, I remember feeling very broken with my anxiety at times in my life. I just felt like 
it was so much to handle and something was inherently wrong with me because I had this. What would you say to someone as you're saying this who feels broken, who feels like a failure for lack of a better term? That, and there's no doubt that anxiety is one of our most painful emotions. I mean, I've devoted my career to trying to help alleviate anxiety disorder. Uh, but the truth is that unless we start to understand how to feel bad, how to feel mm -hmm. these bad feelings, how to sometimes feel broken, we'll never be able to figure out how to feel good. I mean, mental health is not the absence of struggle with difficult feelings. Oh, that mental is health beautiful. Is, yeah. is the struggle, mm -hmm. you know, it is the struggle. And to know that we can feel broken, but still pick ourselves back other, uh, up again. And no more so than with, honestly, with anxiety, because difficult emotions like anxiety evolve to feel terrible. They evolve to grab our attention and make up us really sit up and pay attention because they're there to help us thrive, even though they can get in our way. And anxiety is amazing, even though it sucks. <laughs> but, <laughs> it but it's amazing. absolutely it does. <laughs> But it evolved to do one of the most powerful things that we need to do as humans, which is to handle uncertainty and to figure out how to dream big dreams and make them come true. So, so it's there to help us. But the only way to turn this seeming enemy into an ally mm -hmm. is to actually lean into it, look at where anxiety can become a vicious cycle and turn it around to become a virtuous cycle, which we can do. Which, I mean, you said something, and I thought it was beautiful. It actually can help us thrive because I can't speak for everyone listening, but I know for myself and some other people I know who struggle with anxiety, the word thrive doesn't even enter your mind when you're dealing with it. So the fact that you're saying that can happen, you can thrive, it can be a good thing. Let's talk about that. Why is anxiety sometimes a good thing? How is that even possible? <laughs> yeah, right. No, and, and nothing in what we say about anxiety leads us to believe that, as you say. But mm -hmm. the truth is, anxiety, like any emotion, is two things. Mm -hmm. It's information and preparation. Mm -hmm. So anxiety is information that there's something going on in our life that we care about. It's about the future. So anxiety has nothing to do with the present moment. It's all about the future. And that future is uncertain. So while fear is, you know, a dog about to bite you, God forbid. Yes. Anxiety is knowing that you've been in some neighborhood before and you walked on the sidewalk and a dog came running after you and you anticipate that future. Mm -hmm. It hasn't happened yet. Something bad could happen, but it hasn't happened yet. And something good is still possible if you work for it and plan. So anxiety allows you to picture walking in that neighborhood and say, hey, maybe I'm not going to walk on that block. Right. You know, maybe <laughs> I'm going to take this feeling as information that there's potential danger, but there's also safety I can still work for. Uh -huh. And so it's that information that then becomes preparation using our unique human capacity to imagine the future and then to make plans and work and persist in working hard for that. And you know, that dog, you know, kind of the attack dog, example, <laughs> that, that, it's a limited one because think about, say you're going to go for that big job interview tomorrow and right. you feel, you don't feel fear, you feel anxiety mm -hmm. because you could bomb it or you could actually crush it and get the job of your dreams. So anxiety is the emotion that helps you anticipate both of those possibilities, mm -hmm. hold them in mind 
and you still hope for that positive outcome. So anxiety isn't just a problem with fearing for the future. It's actually a challenge of hope. Oh, I think that is beautiful. A challenge of hope. I've never heard that. I think that is stunning wording. And when you think of it that way, doesn't that change everything so that now when you're getting a little worked up about that job interview tomorrow, as we all do, or you wake up at 4 a.m., which I often do with worries going through my head, you know, what what you now realize is, okay, wait a second. Anxiety is telling me that something's important to me. Let me listen. Yeah. And because it's also preparation, that means I can leverage it. What is it telling me I need to do? And then maybe I need to prepare more for that job interview. I think maybe that's the, beautiful. This thing I hope for, I can, I can actually, I'm in it to win it and I can work for it. I love that because asking yourself, what is it trying to tell me? I sometimes get so anxious that I just am like, well, this, this is how it is. I'm really anxious. And I never stop to think, what is it telling me? What is it? What is something important to me? What is, what are the underlying feelings that are happening here? Um, another question. And when you own it, yeah, and when you own it like that, uh-huh. then all of a sudden it's not owning you. And then all these other possibilities open up. And so you are saying, and I have to ask you this question because this is another one that just boggles my mind because I don't know how it's possible. You talked a little bit about how anxiety can protect us, but how can it help strengthen our productive and creative powers? Because when I saw that you said this is possible, I was like, she, you know what, Tracy is a magician because <laughs> I didn't know this was possible. She must have some sort of magic skills. I don't know. How is no, it possible? <laughs> it's just the science. It's just the science. But, but here's the thing. It's sort of a hidden science because we always assume anxiety is bad. But if you start to dig around and if you start to ask different scientific questions, you find things like, Oh, wait a second. They did this study in 2008 to Drew and colleagues where they found that people who were made to feel anxious, not full-blown panic, but like really significantly anxious, they were then given a problem-solving task. And you know what? Those folks who were made to feel anxious compared to those who were neutral or even happy, they were more persistent in problem-solving. They thought out of the box more, and they didn't let obstacles stop them. Because when you're anxious, you're in this future orientation. That's why I call the book Future Tense. Mm -hmm. And you were able to ride this wave of energy. Now you have to do something with it. And it doesn't feel good. (laughs) I got to say, it does not. (laughs) No. uh, but, But you can use this to actually persist and innovate. You also, when we're anxious, we actually also get spikes in the neurotransmitter dopamine, which is the feel good hormone. Now that's, that's uh, maybe not expected, but what dopamine really does is it's this messenger neurotransmitter in our brain that makes our brain work together to pursue goals, to pursue those things that we want that reward us. And so our brains work efficiently to do that when dopamine is spiking. Anxiety spikes dopamine because, again, do- uh, uh, anxiety is about making our future dreams come true. So here it is a helpmate in orienting us towards goals. Um, and then the third thing that might surprise you is that anxiety actually spikes levels of the um, of oxytocin, which is the social bonding hormone. So it primes oh. us to seek out. So you don't just have more oxytocin when you're, you know, with a loved one. It actually also primes us to seek out our loved ones and our support. So that anxiety contains within itself one of the best solutions for anxiety, which is to get social support. So all of these things 
tell us that anxiety isn't just protective, like protecting you from, you know, the dog or the, or the you know, or the, but it's actually productive. It's actually moving us into the future in a connected and powerful and hopeful way. I honestly, I am getting like, I mean, I'm getting teary eyed talking to you about this because there are things that I had never thought about with anxiety. Like, which brings me to a next question because obviously I had a lot of misunderstandings about anxiety. I labeled myself as someone who was broken, um, as someone who was damaged because I had this. What do people, you know, similar to me, misunderstand most about anxiety? And how do we need to reframe the way we think it? I think that you, like so many of us, and, you know, myself at certain points in my life, assume that, you know, as I said before, mental health somehow equals the absence of emotional struggle. Mm -hmm. But when... You start to think about anxiety as not a disease to eradicate, but as a as actually a you know a part of being human. Yes, it's messy, but you know there you know it's a feature of being human. It's this thing we evolved to have. So then the question becomes not am I broken or not, which is this binary, right? You, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm I'm healthy or I'm not, but rather it becomes how do I gain skills with this healthy human emotion? How do I, at those times when anxiety is getting the best of me, and it gets the best of all of us at some time, mm-hmm. how do I weather those? How do I work through rather than around anxiety? If I don't need to make it go away or eradicate it like cancer, maybe I can build skills like I do build, you know, fitness skills right. or build, you know, immune health. Or why are we not thinking about anxiety and our emotional health in this way? And, and so then, and then, and, and I do want to say all of this is, I would never suggest in a million years that there are not anxiety disorders. There yes. are, I've devoted my career to them. There is an important distinction though, which is that you're only diagnosed with an anxiety dis- disorder when the ways that you're coping with these intense experiences of anxiety are getting in the way. So the ways that we're coping are starting to interfere with our ability to work and to love mm-hmm. and to play. And so then the equation is, okay, yes, life has thrown me these curveballs and anxiety has become overwhelming, but I don't have to make the anxiety go away. Right. I have to find some new ways to work through it. And, and, and that's a good way to think about it because when we try to suppress anxiety, it always spirals even more out of control. <laughs> yes. right? I, will, I, I will attest <laughs> to that. It's very much, it's that yeah. feeling of, I don't want to feel this way anymore. I'm just going to ignore it. And then just keep going on with something else. Um, it will always, and it doesn't really work. Smack us in the bottom at some point, right? It uh, will always come back to haunt us when we do that. Absolutely. And I honestly, hearing you talk, I'm thinking about my past experiences. And I would never say in a million years, I'm just going to be honest with you, Tracy, and everyone listening. I would never say, oh, I love feeling anxious. I'm not at that no. point. I don't like no. it. It's no, uncomfortable. You never get to that point. Yes. Oh, I cannot. I'm just keeping it real. But there have been times when I look back when I have had a good handle on my anxiety and it's been able to push me forward. It has been able to um, lead me, like you said, to relationships I love, um, to reach out to people, to go after um, the dream job that I currently have right now, it's just really hard in the moment to see the positivity in it when you're feeling that way. Oh, it's terrible. And sometimes don't even bother. Just sometimes you have to like go to bed early, call it a day, binge watch Netflix, do whatever you need to do. But, but there is, you know, 
there is a right way to be anxious and it's a skill we can build. And there, the virtuous cycle of anxiety is this combination of, you know, listening to it, trying to leverage it and use it. But then sometimes you can't, you just can't in part because sometimes it's not useful anxiety or life is just too hard right now and you can't expect that of yourself. But it's at those times that we can let go of anxiety, not in a way that avoids it, but then in a way that brings us back. So we let go so that we can come back to the present moment. Uh, you know, So let go of that future tense, come back to the present in a way that nourishes and strengthens us. So things that bring us to the present that can help us are, you know, whether you like to exercise, right. meditate, Maybe you just love music and you want to listen to music that, that uplifts you. Maybe you talk to a psychologist or a spiritual advisor or to that friend who always makes you feel more like yourself. These are things that aren't avoidant and distracting, but actually just bring us back to the mm -hmm. present so that we can be flexible in, these, in, in how we are anxious, that we can ebb and flow with it. And it's that listening, leveraging, and letting go. Mm -hmm. That's the virtuous cycle of anxiety that we just need time to build skills with. But we can do that once we shift our mindset and know that anxiety, we may hate it, we may not love it, but, <laughs> but it can be an ally, which you have to negotiate with like any ally. Yeah. You can work with it. You can work with it. I mean, me, my anxiety and I, we're not quite to the ally point yet. Um, it's more <laughs> of a, a enemy at times for me. Um, but talking to you and hearing these examples, it is truly it, it is so helpful. It's been really eye-opening to me. Um, really fast before we wrap up, um, you talked about coming to the present, different things that you can do. Um, you talked about, you know, anxiety versus anxiety disorders. Um, I want to talk to you about how to treat anxiety, um, treating it before you get to medication. How does that work? I think, you know, I do want to say about medication, a lot of people are completely 100% pro or against medication. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I really think nuance is needed here because for some people, again, life can be really hard. Sometimes people need that extra support. And what medication can do is help us temporarily come back to a baseline so that we can build those emotional skills and that, that virtuous cycle I talked about. I absolutely agree. But, 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 but benzodiazepines, which are one of the main anti-anxiety types of meds, are, are addictive and, and can be dangerous when not used properly. Mm -hmm. And we have come, especially in this country, in the U.S., to start using them so often and as a first-line treatment and for a long time that it's actually unintentionally making anxiety worse. Number one, it's best and most effective, these drugs, when used in combination with cognitive behavioral therapy, which is where we build the skills. To, to understand our thoughts and emotions and work with them more effectively. Um, it's supposed to be used in the short term and not a long term, because in the long term, there's a neuroadaptive process where your brain adapts to these drugs and your baseline levels of anxiety actually rise over time. Oh, interesting. So then okay. you use these drugs a long time and anxiety becomes uh, uh, unfortunately harder to manage. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful and mindful. So before before we get to using medication, which again, for some people is important. Absolutely. We can, you know, Making that very try, clear. <laughs> very clear. I really want to respect what people go through, mm -hmm. but to say, you know, try uh, cognitive behavioral therapy as a as a really good uh, therapeutic approach. Now it's very hard to get therapy, especially in this country. It's, uh, you have to get on waiting lists. Unfortunately, you have to, uh, you know, sometimes you don't have insurance on, 
very unfortunately, there are all sorts of barriers, but there are great treatment approaches out there in person. There is telehealth. There's digital therapeutics. I co-founded a digital therapeutics company to try to make treatments more accessible. Um, But there are also excellent wellness-based practices that have science behind them. So we have a lot of these tools in our toolkit. And then the third thing I'd say is reach out to your community because one thing that really makes anxiety worse is when we become isolated and when we feel alone and when we don't believe in our ability to change anymore. And so fostering those connections. I mean, we have a crisis of loneliness. So many of us are suffering from that now, Mm -hmm. but we can make steps in the right direction. So seek out those social connections and social support, connect with purpose in your life. These are all things that we have within our power to do a lot to make anxiety an ally. I think those three things are absolutely amazing. And really, they all come down to the point that you are not alone. Anxiety does not have to control you. Um, there, there is hope. You can feel better. Um, it can be, I'm still going to work on this, Tracy, because the idea of having anxiety as an ally is brand new, brand new <laughs> news to me. I got to tell you. Um, Tracy, it was an absolute delight to interview you today. You were just, had so much knowledge, so much good advice. Um, Before we wrap up, we do something on our podcast called The Fresh Five. And it's just something, it's five random questions I ask you so our listeners can get to know you a little better. They're not hard (laughs) questions. They're really, you know, lighthearted after we were, you know, talking about anxiety. Um, My first question for you is, what is your favorite time of the year? I have to say the holiday time, you know, Christmas, Hanukkah, et cetera, et cetera, because my kids have come to an age now where they're tweens and teens, Uh and they're so excited now. They love to decorate, (laughs) and they're like, how big is the tree going to get? And it's just, you know, I'm like, I guess a lot of people, but it just popped into my mind, maybe because it's around the corner, but that would have to be my I love it. Well, it's my favorite time of the year, too, because I feel like everyone is just so happy around that time of year. I'm like, look at all of us. I mean, I know that's not everyone, but I just feel like people are kinder. Um, number two, who is your favorite superhero and why? Oh, wow. Well, I loved the recent Miss Marvel. Love it. Uh, TV series because <laughs> she is not only is she a badass and she's a young woman of color and, and just having that show, which is also about the partition, uh, which, you know, between India and Pakistan and that mm-hmm. whole historical moment, she's just, she's sort of an everyday person who did amazing things. And I think, you know, when I think about mental health, I kind of think about mental health that way too, that we have that ability as cheesy as that sounds. So I don't know. She totally is resonating. With me right I now. love that. That was a wonderful answer. Um, <laughs> all right. My third one, if you could travel anywhere tomorrow, you have a ticket anywhere, planes booked, lodging, where would you go? You know, my family and I have been wanting to go to, back to Japan for a long time. We love that beautiful country. My husband and I went on a couple's trip back in the day when we could go for a couple weeks, a few weeks, and now we have kids and they're old enough to go. And we want to show them uh, just these, this, you know, what we learned about the country and the beautiful culture. And um, I think that would be, that's the first place. I love it. I have always wanted to go to Japan, especially when the cherry blossoms are blooming. All right. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Number four, a really fast one. So it's brunch. What are you eating? Well, I generally don't eat much brunch because I'm a vegetarian and brunch is not the greatest meal because there's so many eggs. <laughs> I don't even eat eggs. So you're like, um, I'm having avocado toast. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. With a side of <laughs> vegan bacon. 
Maybe and hash browns because I'm half Irish and I always love. Oh, them. Yeah. love that it. Would, that would be it. That would be love it. it. Okay, <laughs> my fifth and final question of our Fresh Five question is: If you could attend an awards ceremony, you know the Oscars, the Grammys, um, the Emmys, uh, which awards ceremony would it be? Uh, I kind of don't like award ceremonies, <laughs> and that's your answer. So, yeah, can I just like sit out and like get in my pajamas and stay home? You know what? That is absolutely acceptable. Being true to yourself, keeping it relatable. And I mean, I get it. You know, you're going to have to, it's a lot of work to go to these things. Let's say you were, you were winning an award. So if you could win an award, like a Nobel prize, a Pulitzer prize, an Oscar, a Grammy, anything, what would it be? Ah, geez, Louise. Um, a Grammy, because I used to be a musician a million years ago. I was a classical oboist. Uh-huh. And I could play, let, let me imagine that I'd play like electric oboe on some awesome, Ooh, like, you that know, is jazz. fancy. You are the <laughs> first fancy, person right? <laughs> I have ever asked that that has brought up the electric oboe. So Tracy, you are, you are making waves in the mental health world. And you know what? If you want to play the electric oboe, girl, you go for it. <laughs> Love it. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for answering those. And thank you so much for being with us today. We've absolutely adored having you. And everyone who is listening, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Fresh Off the Set. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And we will talk to you next week. Congrats, you made it to the end. If you want to continue to freshen up your day, you can watch us on Fresh Living every weekday on CBS Channel 2 in Utah at 1 o'clock. You can also watch us on our YouTube channel, KUTV Fresh Living, and follow us on social media. We will see you next week.